Hello everyone and welcome to a special episode of the SWW show. I'm Mike. This here is not AJ. I know we're all super excited every time this happens. So could you please tell me what your name is and what game you're currently working on? My name is Daniel Fedor and I'm working on a game called Astronauts. So I always find this interesting when you always have game names you go. In the moment I saw the name I was like this seems very interesting, but I have no clue what it's about just from the name. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh history behind the name, um, but uh, it's meant to basically be about uh, a misfit family on a spaceship making ends meet. Um, so your, your story kind of in the same genre as Firefly or The Expanse or Cowboy Bebop. So what you're, what you're um, telling me is like you're like the like an Ohio family who has seen like all of your jobs gone. So now you're like now we have to scrap by, get all the ends meet, but it's in space. I understand, right? Right. <laughs> so a little bit more gray market, depending on what that Ohio family was up to. So. <laughs> okay, we'll make it a Jersey family. We'll make it. We'll make it Italian. <laughs> yeah, Jersey, Jersey family. There you go. <laughs> nice. Before well, we get in the game, though. I was kind of curious, like, what your background was, because, like, so you're, you're Blue Bottle Games, and uh, correct me if this has changed otherwise, you are Blue Bottle Games, and you yes, kind of have, like, I, people who work with you from time to time. Exactly. I have contractors that I kind of hire as needed, um, but I am the owner and only full-time employee of Blue Bottle Games. So I'm going to make the assumption here that, like, this isn't your first rodeo, then? Uh, well, I did work at BioWare um, for about seven years before I, I went indie. Um, and that was my first video game job, but it wasn't my first job. I had worked um, four and a half years at an IT company um, doing kind of like web development, web design, and project management type stuff. Why, why is there this, maybe you can answer it better, there's this weird correlation I've noticed of like, People end up in games who are like were like web developers in a past life. Like it's a very interesting line of like something skills that like overlap, but you wouldn't think overlap to the extent they feel like they do. I think a lot of that might be timing, depending on the age of the people you were talking to. Um, so like late nineties, early two thousands, if if you were working, it was a pretty good chance it was in IT, especially with web stuff, because it was just um and even if you didn't have technical skills, they were like at uh, the job for a while was an English major. Um, so it, it wasn't necessarily what your degree was in. It was what you were capable of doing that mattered and into it as a result of that sort of open door. Nice. And then you said you worked at BioWare. So what was your position there? I started as a technical artist, which is kind of like um, art tools programming, um, making sure the assets were well-behaved and um, get basically making artists' lives easier, but also making them integrate with the rest of the team more efficiently. Yes. And then over time, 
that evolved into more managerial type stuff. Okay. So yeah, my background is like design and programming. So I think of technical artists as like the artists I can actually talk to and they somewhat understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And in fact, at, at Bio, Bioware, they would have had a technical designer role, which is kind of the equivalent of maybe what you're talking about. Someone who, if you're more on the programming side, you'd be a game programmer in the sense that you're making game logic. Designy end, you'd have technical designer, which is like still capable of doing technical things, but usually more content related. Yeah, I think of like um, all of the technical people in the middle kind of like as like the lines of communication because they could all kind of also inherently understand each other a lot better from a technical end. Yeah, and as those teams get big, for sure, like you need when you have a couple hundred people working on a project, you need people to be able to to sort of smooth that transition from one team to the other. Are you implying to me that you can't just have like a 400 person group chat that everyone just kind of throws stuff into and hope it gets to the right people? <laughs> Had that. It was called the the spam email channel, and it was certainly not well <laughs> well regulated. So. <laughs> They're like, it is Jimmy's son' birthday, and a half of you are like, who's Jimmy, and when do you start working here? What do you mean he's been here for five years? <laughs> that actually that happened to me. Um, I started. Um, on a project that eventually merged with Dragon Age. And then towards the end of my Bioware career, I was on Mass Effect asking me like, so how long have you been working here? And it's like, I've, I've been here a long time. <laughs> I just, I've been at the other end of the office. You just haven't seen me. So, <laughs> And everyone in that, in that office is staring at you like, is he lying to us? Is he sure? <laughs> I'm sure some people doubted it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so then, then at some point you decided... That um, you don't like income, I understand. You don't like health insurance, and you don't want a retirement plan. So you became an indie developer, right? Uh, we we decided to trade one batch in for the other. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it was a long time to make that decision. I I've always wanted to make my own games, um, and I think there were many years at Bioware where I considered the possibility, but it wasn't until. Before I pulled the trigger that I was like, okay, I think this is how it has to be. Because um, it is a huge, a huge leap of faith. I, th I think I spent, I'm usually a fairly frugal person when it comes to money. So I have saving, but I was directedly saving money um, for, for quite a while so that I could basically work for a year, year and a half uh, without income. The most stressful of, of things. You're like, okay, here's the money amount and it only goes down. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how many things cost money when suddenly you have no money coming in and you can see where it all goes. Half time with money coming in, you're still like, what do you mean? Where did this money all go? I just got a paycheck. <laughs> yeah, it, well, and there's so many layers of it too. Like there's the things that you visibly spend money on, the things that sort of invisibly take money. And then the things on a monthly basis, you're like, well, this will only ever happen once. But then next month, there's another thing just like it in a different category. That's that's like the joke always when you budget for like groceries, but you don't account for like toilet paper or paper towels. And you're like, well, it's fine. It's just this one week. But then every week there is a just one week object. Your rotating cycle of, of once per year purchases. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Great. So, so now you are Blue Bottle Games, and you are working on two games, but today we're talking about astronauts. Right. Uh, so yeah, Neo Scavenger's sort of on the back burner. Like, it's, it's long since published, and I hope to get back to it and maybe polish it up a bit, but it's really just astronauts now. Okay. So... 
probably the best way to talk about it is, I think, is... So, the way I look at this game, when we were on it too, it felt very systems-heavy to me. Mm. Yeah, it... Um... I'm I'm a fan of systems heavy games um, and and some of the closer analogs in terms of gameplay um, might be something like RimWorld uh, but on a spaceship okay. or uh, The Sims on a spaceship um, a bit of like Prison Architect um, or like Space Engineers so there's there's kind of a technical level where like all of the building blocks of your spaceship are functional and they do things and power is routing and gases are exchanging. Um, but then there's also kind of this uh, physiological, logical aspect of your, your crew, your crew needs things to survive and to stay, um, stay happy. So sort of the blending of those. Maybe, maybe I want to dig into that part a little more then. So, when you compare it to a few other things, there's, like, this line of, like, when I think of system games from, like, they go from, like, arcade to simulation. And what I find interesting is you kind of listed both ends of that spectrum to me. Because, like, SimCity to me is much more on the arcade side of, like, you do stuff that kind of matters, but, like, they kind of have safeties in place. Compared to, like, some of the other stuff where it's like, oh, no, this could just go off haywire real quick and you're just dead. Mm. So, like, where well, do you find that line almost? I like... I like failure in games. Um, any player of Neo Scavenger will not be surprised to hear that. Um, it here when it can be interesting even more. Like if if you can fail in different ways, and each of those failures kind of teaches you a new thing about the way systems interact. Um, I think I like hardcore simulation a lot, but I do also really enjoy kind of like um things and deep characters and narratives and relationships so um i often try to to find games that juggle both of those things and in this case also try to make a game that that juggles both of those things um and i guess we'll find out if that's a success or not in a in a year or so okay so so like so, like, that's a very interesting sense of, like... So you think there's almost, like, a line for both of them. So... Um, you mean, like, a line that can't be crossed or a line that connects them together? I think connects them together is kind of... The way, way I understand what you're saying there is, like, you you think there is kind of, like, both sides of them have validity in, like, a single experience. Uh, well, and I think... So if you take a game that... Um, purely systemic... Um, people are still going to uh, imply a story we do as humans. We interpret random information in a way that's familiar to us. And frequently that's in the form of storytelling. That's, that's kind of how we're wired to remember information. So I feel like I didn't do any sort of um, narrative stuff in a game. People are going to sort of end up generating, like, you play a game, not play a game, you play with a set of Lego, there isn't necessarily a story attached to the blocks that you're playing with. But you make um, one. But you make one, yeah. Like, you start to, you start to come up with a context for what you're doing, or, 
I'm sure there are people who don't, but, but I, I, I always did. So. so I find that interesting in the sense of like, so you came from Bioware, where, where I find the stuff very, like, it is systematic always, but it very much a lot of times is like, people remember the experiences that were handcrafted that you influenced compared to like an experience that you just mm. came up with. Is that like... Yeah, so it is like, a very handcrafted experience at Bioware, for sure. So I'm curious more on that end. Is there anything from that type of experience that you pull from? Or, you like, or is it very purposely, you're like, I want to try and make something completely different in that? Uh, I liked Bioware games, which is why I, I wanted to work there in the first place. Um, but I think the thing I liked most about Bioware was um, they were kind of opening the door to the role-playing experiences I liked sooner than a lot of other people did. Okay. Everwinter Nights is a lot of people say, you know, Boulder's Gate was kind of the the um the heyday of Bioware, but in a way I kind of really liked Neverwinter Nights because it was a flash building set in addition to being a game. Hmm. Um so after you finished playing the game or even if you didn't want to do that entirely, you could you could just open up the editor. The first thing I did when I when I got that open was create like this um, for my thief character to live in that was like hidden behind a waterfall in the forest and there was all this like furniture and lavish stuff inside the cave and I, I just liked building that like it was just kind of fun to all those pieces so um, Bioware did have kind of like that that innovative spirit I feel like, I mean, that was one of the first games I can think of where you could have multiple people basically doing digital role-playing, um, you know, with digital props and real-time communication and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, thing that I definitely remembered from Bioware and which translated directly into my games is um, things like branching dialogue, uh, managing large sets of data, attaching like attributes and properties to objects and making those accessible to game rules. So Um, there's just, there's a ton of data. So, so let me on the ton of data then. So, so I'm going to make an assumption that based on that, what you just said there is like, and even from like looking at throughout the stuff you released for the game, you very much like the idea of like as much known information as possible. So like, I'm curious, like, do you, have you drawn like a hard line in development of like, okay, this is too much information for the player or is your mindset more of a give them everything, even how stuff interact and then let them figure out what's the best solution. If, if I were to pick, it would actually be information scarcity. Um, but a lot of depth sort of hidden behind that. I think too much information is definitely a problem and it overwhelms the player. But the other part of the problem is it exposes so much of the magic behind the curtain that it loses its magic. Do you have um, like a system maybe in the game that like you've talked about that you could maybe like give an example of that you follow that philosophy? Well, the, um, the health system in Astronauts is heavily borrowed from Neo Scavenger. Um, and that's that's a case of a system that has lots of detail under the hood, but the parts you see are limited. Well, humans, five symptoms for almost everything. Like I have a headache. 
I have nausea. I have aches and pains. Um, you know, there's of, of things that we experience, but kind of the, the pattern in which can tell you a little bit and then combining that with the context in which they happen tells you a little bit more. So like thing nausea and I recently ate something I, I didn't identify then, well, it's probably something poisonous ate. or yeah, something that made me sick. But if I'm experiencing nausea, was working on the reactor, well, maybe I've been overexposed to radiation. You know, it's, um, all, there is a stat called radiation, which is ticking up or down based on what you're exposed to. And then another one for poison and another one for infection. Um, and I feel like that information barefaced to the player, uh, it would ruin the magic. It's, it's like, it's a different kind of game. For sure. So, so like, um, you feel that, like, you should almost, like, if there's two ends to a thing of, like, like, with the example being the symptoms and the disease, or, like, job, or, like, kind of, like, job activity and money output, you should only show, like, one end of the system and let the player assume what's going to happen on the other end, is the best way of putting it? I think it's... I try to map it as much to what a real person experiences. Um, so... It, in terms of health, it's the symptoms that we experience. Um, in terms of a job, it's the things you do in the job and, yeah, maybe the monetary reward. Um, okay. Don't show the things that you wouldn't see in real life because uh, there's a chance it might make it more immersive to to just give us the stuff we're used to getting. Okay. I, one other thing I think is important there, and that's when a player is trying to manage those things, it should work intuitively. And I don't always succeed there, but I try to in that um, if you do a thing that works in real life, it should work in the game too, as much as possible. I assume within, a, as we both probably understand, a very fine line of like, I'm sorry, you can't go under the random engine thing and unscrew that one bolt. But yeah. <laughs> yeah but, and there's, there will always be limits, but like, uh, Again, the, a perfect example from the health uh, system is that there isn't a there isn't a drink that you can drink that suddenly heals you. Your body heals at a certain speed. Anything that accelerates that too much is starting to feel more like magic or like ultra high technology. Um, and not to say that those things can't exist in this in this game world, but uh, they should be treated with the appropriate amount of respect. So. So actually, that's going. So you are, you're calling this hard-ish science, and like so, and I like this very much. This is kind of the sci-fi I like to draw to. Is like the like, it's kind of realistic, but like thirty years from now, but like you still kind of see like the roots right now of how we're getting to the science that you're presenting. Yeah. How do you yeah. draw like the fine line when you're doing stuff like, especially like? When you're doing stuff like space travel, like how do you draw that very fine line? Do you look at like stuff like SpaceX and go, okay, they're saying this will exist. Okay, we're going to pull from this. We're pulling from this real thing. I think that's, for the most part, that's how it works. Like, so there's a, there's a level of stuff that I want to be able to do. And then in order to do those things, I have to have certain technologies or that enable those to happen. 
Um, so there, there are rules I necessarily have to break to do what I want. The speed of travel and how long you can travel at that speed, for example, or communications over vast distances in, in faster than light time. Um, there are some concessions I have to make. On the other hand, like I was always a little bit more in love with and um, the expanse being a more recent uh, example in Firefly, where it felt pretty mundane and pretty plausible, um, as opposed to um, Spectrum, you have like super ultra tech in Star Trek, where things like uh, matter fabricators and um, force fields are like so commonplace that they're almost on a personal device level. So would Spectrum. you consider the line of like like deep sleep and like Battlestar Galactica? Would you consider that too sci-fi for you, or like a cryogenic sleep? Yeah, something kind of like thing? that. Well, I see that's a that's a core in both Neo Scavenger and Astronaut. So that's definitely um, that's definitely not, and that's actually not too weird by modern science. Like uh, the idea of hibernation and and cryogenic. Uh, freeze feel like we're already at a point where we're starting to realize this is a lot more doable than we thought before. Um, and yeah, what you said before about the SpaceX extrapolation, that's true too. Like what I'm doing is looking at what we have or what we're about to do and then trying to do a best guess estimate on where we will be for of decades of advancement. Um, Okay. All of that in the context of a solar system that's been cut off from Earth suddenly at a point in the future. So they had a, a pretty smooth growth for a while, and then it was cut off, uh, and then they were kind of on their own for a while. Mm. Okay. Uh, and then the other thing I want to talk about is, like, so you very clearly talk about how, like, you are supporting mods for this. So mm. I almost want to talk about, like, the, like... So I just find it interesting, and I think it's the right way to do it, is, like, supporting modding from the offset of, like, when you're building a product. How do you kind of, like, find that line of, like, what is a thing you want them to be able to mod versus, like, no, no, you can't mod this one system because it'll just break the game because it's dependent on it. Mm. The way I look at modding is the way I look at somebody giving you a rpg book okay um so you get the the dungeon master's guide for for D or um the rifts main book or something like that and it's um for a certain type of world and a certain type of gameplay um almost inevitably all of these books say here's our suggestion but if you want to change any of this go right ahead and change it um and I've always liked world building and in some cases system building in pen and paper games. These games is kind of a way to, to give that experience to people. They can, if they don't want to make a game about what I've made a game about, they can jigger as much stuff as they want and potentially tell their own stories in it. Um, but that said, 
you know, flying spaceships and managing a crew, it's going to be really hard to do certain things within that. Yeah. And there are some rules that are necessarily hard coded because it would be too hard to make everything completely generic and abstract. So like maybe looking at the example of the game then. So, for, so like you're okay with them poking at like, this is the rate at which you lose oxygen in an oxygen environment or you lose like like dehydration but maybe you you're saying you have to still lose these things or these systems still have to exist in some capacity guess you could even like if a person wanted to write those systems out entirely i think they actually could something like the rate of loss on any of those things is zero or they're constantly regenerating fast enough that it didn't matter. Some of the the mods that people made for for Neo Scavenger were were pretty much exactly what I what I wanted people to do, which was some people wanted new items, uh, some people wanted new like weather effects, some people wanted a completely new world with a similar game style. Like I think somebody wanted to do a desert world um, in the far future. But yeah, I mean, if, if somebody comes along and it's like, you know what, I'm going to do a, a Firefly um, total conversion mod for this game, then I think it would probably fit. Or if they wanted to do, you know, their own like uh, Spelljammer campaign um, using, you know, then that'd be really cool. I'd, I'd want to see it. Um, so yeah, anything you can create... I'd like to enable it. I just don't want to make it so hard to build the place that it takes me forever to do. Okay. So, so also clarify, I assume you want other people to make the firefly. So you don't get sued. But you still get to play the game. I get it. Perfect. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> let, let a modder make that and then I'll play it. Cause I, if I ever tried to do that, I'm sure Fox would come after me, but if someone else makes it. You're like, oh, it's a mod. I don't, I don't know. It just happened. And I think, <laughs> Fox would probably be a lot less interested in suing a modder because they're not going to get a lot of money out of them. So. That's true. <laughs> probably get a stern warning, whereas I would probably get a lawsuit. That's true. Okay, great. So uh, the game is Astronauts. Uh, the game, it has here, and I'm just going to assume it's still coming out sometime late 2019? More likely 2020. Um it looks like it's, it's drifting a bit off schedule, but uh, I'm still trying to get it out there. Uh, as soon as possible in an early access kind of uh, mode so that at least there's like a game loop that people can have fun with and then I'll gradually add more stuff to it. And then the game's currently uh, coming to Steam as the platform? It'll, I think, be win well Windows for sure. Um, I am not very well versed in uh, Apple or Linux OSs. I tried doing it for Neo Scavenger and it was a bit of a pain <laughs> um, so i don't know if i'm going to officially support those platforms yet um but uh it is in unity which means it could support those platforms and the idea of maybe making it officially windows only and then including linux and and mac os builds just to see if they work and then if they work great if not then at least i'm not on the hook to figure out why <laughs> <laughs> great sounds good 
Uh, again, thanks for joining with this fun discussion. So the game again is Astronauts. Um, you can find it on the Steam store currently, or it's BlueBottleGames.com. But again, Dan, thanks for joining me for this fun conversation. And everyone, we will catch you guys next time for the SWW Show. Thanks for your time. It was good talking to you. This podcast was a product of the SWW Show. You can find more at the SWWShow.com or Facebook.com slash the SWW Store or Twitter.com slash SWW. You can find out more about Mike at Mikey underscore Maroney on Twitter and more about AJ at Locebor on Twitter. Remember, new episodes come out twice a month, one focusing on the new entertainment news and one focusing on movie club, so new and an old movie. You can find out more again at the SWWshow.com and you can find the show on podcast services around the globe.